Now, we're in a series that series is finishing today. The series is entitled Beloved. And we've looked at a couple of things throughout. We've said that God is love. That was the week number one. We looked at just this is his essence of who he is. He cannot not be love. It's just who he is. Last week, we looked at the fact that we are loved. And we made the distinction. The distinction is between those that would be considered followers of Jesus and those that would not. So we gave a simple illustration, and that is this, that most of all of us would say it's true that we love everyone in the world, but none of us love the whole entire world like we love our own precious families. So while I would say this with sincerity, I have a general love for all the kids over at Child's High School. I don't love any of them in the same kind of way with the same level of intensity, focus, et cetera, as I love my own children. And that is true of God himself. God has a general love for the whole world, but he has a special, specific love for those that are his, his children. It's been leading us up to this last week. This last week is entitled, You Can or We Can Love Others. Now, we got to see the progression. We will not be able to actually love others in the same kind of a way that God loves if God is not first love. If it's not true that God is who he says he is, then I'm not entirely certain that that we would be able to really, truly love other people. In a general sense, yeah, but in a specific kind of way, no. God is love. It starts with him. He defines love. He's the source of love. And then that love needs to be uh, given specifically to us. It is going to be very difficult to love someone else if you have never first been loved. It's going to be really challenging to love your children if your parents didn't love you. It's going to be really difficult to love a friend if you have never been loved by a friend. If you did not have it modeled for you first, if you're not the recipient in some way of some kind of love, it's going to make it more challenging to love others. But here's the beauty of what the Scriptures tell us. Because God is love. And because he has first loved us, and because his love now resides in his children, the Holy Spirit resides in us and now can enable us and empower us, get this, to love others in the same kind of way that God loves us. Let that sit. The most powerful force on earth, love is now residing within every child of God, and every child of God has the ability and the opportunity to love others in the same kind of way that God loves us. Can you think of anything that is more compelling than that? We all need to love And we all need to be loved. And because God is who he is, and because God has done what he has done, he is now looking at you today. He's looking at us, you individually, us corporately, and saying, my church, here's my task for you. I want you to take my love to the uttermost parts of the earth. I want you to go on the love offensive. You take the initiative to go and to put on display who I am, what I look like. 
He gives the world permission to make judgments about him based on the way that we treat one another and the way that we interact with the world. This is the greatest pressure that we've ever been given because it's ultimately not up to you to love. It's ultimately up to him. He's the one that's saying, I'll do everything that's necessary. I'll model it. And I'll empower you. All I'm asking you to do is to look for opportunities, watch this, to have my love flow in you and through you to a group of people. We all need to love and we all need to be loved. For the last time in this series, would you stand in honor as we read the same section of 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. You may be seated. Verses 7 through 8 and 11 through 12 tell us a very powerful truth. And that is that we can, in fact, love others. Now, here's what we need to know about this particular passage. In this section, John has been going, and he, I'm sorry, in this uh, letter, John has been going around in circles throughout this letter. So he'll say something, he'll come back to it, he'll go to something else, he'll come back to it. It's a series of circles all throughout this letter to remind us of some basic, important, central truths. And right now, he's getting to what is, I think, driving this letter. Now, this letter is specifically written so that the people might be convinced that God has redeemed them for all times. In other words, there were many that were questioning their salvation, just as we do in our day and age today. Many of us who have been walking with God for quite some time, pursue Him, want our lives to be used by Him, want Him to be honored and glorified. Many of us still wonder whether or not we really truly are saved, because it's the hardest truth to embrace, that God really truly loves us. John is writing to assure them. He writes about a couple of ways. There's a couple of tests that we ought to use. One of these tests is, who do we think Jesus is? Do we think Jesus is exactly who he said he is? The Lord of the universe, not a liar, not a lunatic, not some man that just lost it, not just some really good teacher, but he's actually the Son of God sent by God to do for man what man could never do for himself. If Jesus stands in a category all by himself as God and man doing everything that was necessary to make man right with God, he says, then you're a believer. And then he tells us this. 
Look at the desires of your heart. What do you long to do? And if you long to love others, it's a pretty good indication that you belong to God. If all you really want to do is use others, it's probably a pretty good indication you don't belong to God. If you struggle with the fact that you want to use other people, that's a good indication. It's a conviction of the Spirit says, this is not right, it shouldn't go this way. If you get frustrated over not loving others the way you want to love others, it's a pretty good indication. What he tells us in here is this. Love is now a command. John is giving us the same command that Jesus gave him on the night in which Jesus was betrayed. He looks at his disciples and says, this command I give to you, love one another. Hear this. This is a command. It is not a suggestion. And for those whose hearts have been changed by God, that doesn't bother you. To know that it's a command is not a big deal. You go, of course. Isn't that just true of who God is? Of course, he would command us to do this very thing. Right now, you may be saying, hey, I got you, Dave, but I want you to know how difficult it is for me on a consistent basis to truly love others. Of course. But living by the Spirit, it now becomes easy. Because God's the one that's going to do it in you. A couple of statements. We said this at the end of the service last week. I just want to remind you, um, this is a simple definition slash description that we made um, uh, years ago in terms of love to help our boys understand this concept of love. But loving others can be described as this. It is doing what is best for them in the long run. Now apply that to your kids. You have a three-year-old that is fascinated with the street. And that street that they see, they, they watch motorcycles and cars and bikes and people, and they watch various things go by, and they want to go be a part of the action. And the loving parent says, absolutely, son, whatever it is that you want to do, you just go right ahead and do it as early and as often as you want. The loving parent does what is best for the child in the long run, realizing that that three-year-old has no clue what is actually in front of him. He's excited about what he sees. He wants to be a part of what he sees, but he's not mature enough to handle it quite yet. And the loving parent says, no. And then the three-year-old, like all three-year-olds do, says, Mom, Dad, thank you so much for your wise guidance. And I will heed every instruction that you give moving henceforth. That three-year-old likely doesn't understand. So what does he do? He says, no, and he begins to run forward. And so the loving parent chases that child down. And when that child wants to keep moving forward and keep moving forward and keep moving forward, that parent then takes matters a little differently. And sometimes the behind of that three-year-old gets a message very loudly and clearly. This is not good for you. See, love, true, genuine, deep, God-honoring, spirit-filled love does not always say yes. And this is something that our culture has got to understand. 
I cannot say that I love you completely. If I'm going to tell you that every single facet of your life is a-okay. It would be the most unloving thing that I could possibly do. Now, let me tell you, what I'm also not going to do is stand behind you and then holler out all the time, this is wrong, that's wrong, that's bad, wrong. I'm not going to do that either. I'm going to pick and choose. Praise God he doesn't convict me of every single solitary sin that I ever commit. Otherwise, the Holy Spirit would be doing nothing throughout the day but just Dave, 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 Dave. Doesn't do that. Love is doing what is best for others in the long run. And sometimes that means that doing what is best for someone else is going to cause me pain. It is going to hurt. It is going to risk. Sometimes it means sacrificing something. Sometimes it means doing something that others are going to look out on the outside and say, that dude is out of his mind. That person is never going to appreciate that. They're never going to value what it is that he's doing. Sometimes it is going to look utterly and completely foolish to the world. Doing what is best for others in the long run means that oftentimes I'm going to hit my knees and I'm going to say, God, what is the best thing for this person now? Loving your spouse in the long run means sometimes you take it on the chin. Loving your child in the long run sometimes means you look utterly foolish. Sometimes loving your neighbor in the long run means that the whole neighborhood association doesn't get it. Sometimes loving your boss in the long run means that you might just get fired. Loving others in the long run means that I can make decisions now that are not necessarily best for my image, but they are best for this individual. Go back to the three-year-old. The three-year-old does not understand in that moment. But 20 years later, when they're still walking the earth, when they're driving their own car, when they're looking out, when, when perhaps maybe they even have a child of their own, Oh, you've loved them well. In here, I think he tells us that we are going to love others imperfectly, but we must love sincerely. Romans chapter 12 gives us just a brief description. We looked at this uh, uh, earlier, um, but gives us a brief description of what some of the characteristics of love uh, would be. It says this, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position, and do not be conceited. Now, just a couple things to point out here. We're not going to walk through exhaustively in this, but a few things to point out in what love looks like, so you and I might know what, how, how are we called by God to love others. He says to be devoted. 
We are to be devoted to one another. We're going to have a sincere love for one another. It's going to be an imperfect love, but it's going to be a genuine love. It's going to be a true love. It's going to come from the source of God himself. And the way that we express it to other people is oftentimes going to be incomplete, but it should always be genuine. If it's going to be sincere from us, if it's going to come uh, from it's going to come from God, rather it's going to uh, flow uh, uh, through us in there. Understand this: you and I will never, ever, ever love someone perfectly. Will never happen. It will be flawed, and so one of the things that we must do is to be devoted, meaning we're going to come back to once again loving this individual. We are going to fail at loving those that are closest to us. Well, don't stop. Don't quit trying. Get back up. In the same way that many of you probably didn't have to think about it today, won't have to think about it. Maybe you've had breakfast. Maybe you haven't. It's the most important meal of the day, by the way. Breakfast of champions. For some of you who may have this, uh, this desire, say, you know what? I need to eat today. That would be a good idea. Now, let's say you go a whole day without eating. You get busy. You get distracted. There's work that's there, whatever it may be. You go a whole day anyway. realize, man, I just, I forgot to eat today. Is there anybody that says, you know what? Since I forgot to eat today, I'm just giving up. I'm never going to touch food ever again because I blew it today. Of course not. You're going to keep it. You're not going to love someone well on a day. Don't stop. Don't focus on how you failed. Get back up and love them once again. I am motivated by Eric. Eric Weinmeier is a man that was born with an eye condition, child born with an eye condition. By the time he was 14 years old, he was completely blind. And rather than focusing in on what it is that he could not do with his life, he chose to focus in on what he could do with his life. So he began to climb. He learned what it was like to hike, and of course he would have some guides that would help him along the way, but he, he decided that he was going to conquer certain things, and on May 25th of 2001, he climbed the summit of Mount Everest and became the first blind person to ever climb Mount Everest. But he didn't stop there. See, in 2008, he became one of about 150 people on the globe that have climbed every summit on every continent. When he was young, he determined that he was going to focus in on what he could do rather than what he could not do. When it comes to loving others, let me assure you, you are going to have your failure to love others in front of you all of the time. And if we focus on our failure to love others, we're going to be paralyzed. However, if we focus on what we can do, you're going to find you're going to love others because God is going to motivate you He's going to inspire you. He's going to empower you. You want to love others. I know you do. Because you're, the Spirit of God is in you. It's screaming out inside of you. You want to do it. So don't focus on the ways that you don't do it. Focus on the little ways that you can do it. And stay at it. It tells us to honor one another in here. Honor one another above ourselves, which just simply means this, that we are thinking about how it is that we can uplift, uphold, respect, value others. Just look for tiny ways 
that you can speak words of life that will honor someone else. You know, the hardest thing for me as a parent is to, uh, is to get out of the habit of seeing all the flaws in my kids. And I want so much for them. And I want them to grow and develop. And I want them at 52 to be way beyond me in every aspect of life. I want them to have a greater love for their spouse than I do, a greater love for their children than I do. I want them to be more successful at work than I am. I want my kids to thrive in every sense. And so when I look at them, I oftentimes see all of their flaws. And the easiest thing for me is to come, there it is. I think right here, honor, it doesn't mean that we never confront. Please don't hear that. It means that I think I've got to spend more time thinking, where do I see them doing some great things? And how can I honor them above myself? Be devoted. Honor one another. Be zealous. Zealous in our love for one another. Zealous in our desire is what this means to carry out this sincere love for others. I love this story that came about in Process Magazine in December of 1992. The individual writing the article says, I was impressed several years ago when I read the Eugene Ormandy conductor. I read that, uh, that Eugene Ormandy dislocated a shoulder while directing the Philadelphia Orchestra. <laughs> I do not know what they were playing, but he was giving all of himself to it. And I have to ask myself, sadly, did I ever dislocate anything, even a necktie? The zeal of this conductor as he dislocates a shoulder from, from, from whatever it is that those people do. I know there's a wand. I know there's motions that mean something to those who understand things about music. Would it not be great that it was said of us? Did you see the way that David went about loving? I think he dislocated something. He is so passionate about loving people. There's so much zeal inside of him for others. It's infectious. And wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great if folks out in the community said, I don't know exactly what those folks at Wildwood believe, but the wild in the wood is a good title because those folks love like crazy over there. Love with zeal, he says. The next section here says to be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And then skip on down as he says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. I've combined those two things together. I think what he's telling us is this. In our relationships with others, be fully present. Give all of yourself to them. Somebody shared this with Judith years ago. She took it. We, it's a phrase that we've come back to over and over again. This is, uh, told you this, tell your husband, I need you to be all you are where you are. That whenever we are with people, they get all of us in that moment. They get all of my ears. They get all of my eyes. They get all of my shoulders, all of my hands. Every part of me is present when I am with them. I am tuned in. I'm listening First and foremost, upwards in nature, saying, God, what would you have me hear right now? And then listening to them as they speak. 
Is there anything more honoring, anything more loving, anything that screams a message that says you are valuable as in being fully present with someone else? Whether we're rejoicing, whether we're mourning, whether we're hoping, whether we're praying, whatever it is, when we are with others, be with them. Share, he says. Give to one another. Give out of our time, out of our talent, out of our treasure, whatever it is that we can provide for someone else. If it's within my means to do it, if it would be wise to do so, then share it, give it. As a general rule of thumb, please, this is not an always and only law, but as a general rule of thumb, I think we're probably going to be on the safe side to say, I want to go on the love offensive when it comes to hospitality. When in doubt, give. There are clearly times in which we should withhold. It would not be the most loving thing for our family, for example, for me to give away um, every car that we have in our driveway. My kids have to get to school. For me to give away 100% of the salary that comes into our, into our home would not be a, a loving thing to the rest of my family. Generally speaking, if I've got the opportunity to give, give. Certainly of our time and certainly of our talent. Pursue peace. Live in harmony, he says, with one another. This is where I'm going to intentionally and purposefully pursue those relationships that I know are awry. I'm not going to sit back and I'm not going to wait for them. I'm going to pursue them. The scriptures tell us that if we know that somebody else has something against us, then let's go towards them and say, hey, look, I, I, I get this sense that there's something still between us. If there's anything that I need to apologize for, please make me aware of that. I want to take the initiative to go to the individual. I want to reconcile. If I'm not reconciling, I'm not doing what Jesus did. Because Jesus is the one who saw us in our condition, separated from God, incapable of making ourselves right with him. And he didn't sit back and say to hell with them, which he could have done and would have been just. What he said is, I'm going to pursue them. And he took the initiative while we were still sinners to come after us. It, wouldn't that be just Christ-like? You know, someone has something against you, pursue them. See how it is that you can make it right. Don't apologize for everything. Only apologize for what it is that you can take responsibility for. But you take the initiative to make the relationship right. Include. It says, don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. It's an old illustration. I think it's actually true. I think I remember looking this up several years ago. If it's not, it's okay. It's just a great story then. It's an old illustration of a child whose mother had loaded him up with all of these Valentine Day cards. And this child had meticulously made cards over and over again. The mother her heart going out to her child, knowing that her child was going to go to the school and her child was not well received by others. The child comes home on that Valentine's Day beaming with a smile and says, Mom, it was a great day. 
Son, how come? Did you get a card? No, I didn't. Her heart sinks. says, but I didn't forget a one. I included every single one. Include others. Right now, there's somebody that is sitting near you who does not think they have a dear friend in all of life. They have come to church. They are looking for some kind of a relationship in which they can be included in the process. And they've tried 17 different churches in town because they know that somehow the churches are supposed to be the place where you go and you're welcomed and you're invited. They might have gotten a greeting at the door. They may have had a handshake for two minutes in the service, but no one has ever invited them into their lives. And what John is telling us is this. By the power of the Holy Spirit, because God is love, you now have the ability to invite someone else in. And you just never know that relationship may be the most significant relationship of your life. Don't wait. Go pursue. Don't wait for someone to come into your life. Invite them into your life. It's love. It's what God does. Finally, I think what he's telling us, we can see this in all of these things that are here, is get to know people. I have a very dear friend in life who recently has just pointed this out to me. That perhaps one of the greatest expressions of love, it might even be equated with love itself, is knowledge. And I don't mean just the tertiary knowledge. I don't mean just the knowledge about someone else, but I mean the experiential knowledge of them. That sitting down and walking with and doing life, that when you know someone else, when you have a pretty good idea of of when it is that they're going to be motivated, when it is going to be deflated, when it is going to be sad, when they're going to be happy, when you really truly get to know someone else, not just their favorite color, although that's important, but, but know what drives them, what motivates them in life. When you know someone else, that might be just be equated with, equated with love itself. To know and to be known. If you were to Just think honestly for a moment. There's probably not much else in life that you long for like you long for that. Final thing for this particular series is this. In verse 14, I think he lets us know that love is not convenient, but it is compelling. It is God's love. It is Christ's love. And what do the scriptures tell us about Christ's love? Paul tells us in the book of Corinthians, Christ's love compels us. Christ's love is the love that draws us in. His grace is irresistible. When we see him for who he actually is and what he has actually done, it is like a fly going to that little blue light. It is something that compels us, it moves us, it stirs us. We're not sure why, but we are so motivated by it, we got to draw near to it. When the world 
looks out and it looks into the walls of the church and it sees how the church is functioning with one another. And then when the church takes that same love outside the walls of the church and puts it into the community, I promise you this, it will be one of the most compelling forces on all of the earth. Because Christ's love compels us, I assure you, Christ's love will compel the world through you. If you love other people, if you love them willingly, sacrificially, consistently, I promise you this, the world will take note and they will want to draw near to you. Because we can go a lot of places in the world and we can be known a little bit by others, we can be loved a little bit by others, but to be truly and deeply loved, to be brought in, to be valued, that is something I am convinced that the church is the greatest place for that. I'm convinced the church can only truly do it. So you will be wounded by the church more than you'll be wounded by any other organization. The church will hurt you more deeply than any other uh, group of people will. Why? Because deep down inside, you know, God has called us to more. He's empowered us to more. You expect the world, the, the, the church to love because this is what the scriptures tell us God has called us to. And although you may be wounded by the church more than any other group of people, I assure you of this, you will be loved by the church like no one else will love you. Ask anyone in our church recently in the last year, and they have lost a loved one. Who has meant the most to you? It's been the church. The church will come around you. The church will rejoice with you. The church, the church will mourn with you. The church will show up in your worst moment in life. She will love you. Because Christ has loved you. My friends, can you imagine if we as a people really truly believed that God is love, that we are loved, and then we took that love to others. Can you imagine the impact on Tallahassee? 